Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We are in week two of our series that we've just called Freedom, uh, but specifically we're talking about financial freedom. And because we're talking about money in church, I want to offer the same disclaimers that I offered last week because money can be a tension-filled topic anywhere, uh, but especially in church, I think money just feels like a tension-filled thing. It feels like we don't want to go there. We don't really want anybody at the church telling us what we ought to do with our resources for multiple reasons, and I get a lot of those reasons. But the thing is, uh, it's a tension-filled topic. It's also an important topic, and it's a topic Jesus talked about often. Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. So it was a big deal uh, to Jesus that we figure out how to get this right in our lives. And uh, sometimes I think we're resistant to hear about money in church because we've all heard and seen the examples where it feels like the church just wants your money. I'm happy to tell you that's not what we're here for and not what we're doing today. There's no surprise offering at the end of the service, nor do I anticipate there ever will be in the life of Story Church because it feels kind of gross and manipulative to me. Uh, We are going to talk about generosity a little bit next week, but I think you'll be surprised by the tone and the posture we take towards it. It's not that we're trying to get something from you. And uh, the other disclaimer that I offered last week that I feel need to do again is we're not doing this series because I'm saying I am the financial expert here at Story Church. And if you all just lived and organized your life like me, you would be exactly what God wants you to be. I'm not saying that at all. If anything, what we're doing together is we're looking at God's wisdom on this particular area of our lives and we're learning together. And and you'll hear that as we go on, that I am learning and, and leaning in and developing some better habits, just like hopefully all of you are as well. So There's no game show this week like there was last week where you won't actually win anything. Uh, But to get us started, I do want you to think with me for a second. Have you ever stopped and thought about those kind of silly, maybe frivolous little things that can make us really, really anxious in life? Like not the big things that stress us out that that matter a ton, but like just those little annoyances that don't feel so little to us. Uh, For me, one that can really stress me out is anytime there's like a change in my routine or a change in my normal, uh, particularly if it requires me to go into a new place or interact with a person I don't normally interact with, I get so nervous about it. Like I was thinking about banking specifically. If I ever have to like walk into the bank and talk to a human, my anxiety level goes up, my stress level goes up. Like I typically just drive through and like drop the thing in the box and off I go, or I'll use the ATM or mobile deposit. But anymore, like if I like walk in the doors and I remove my hat and my sunglasses and I have to talk to a human, it's like, Ugh, right? Do I have to? Like it, typically it's like a two minute exchange and I like sign a piece of paper and off I go, right? But, but I will delay it, I'll put it off because it's just like, I don't know, that's, that's out of the ordinary and it feels inconvenient and stressful and maybe I'm the only one. Um, I also have this problem with order pickup, like mobile order pickup at different places. My wife loves to do an order pickup at Target and I always hate when I have to go because it's like my brain shuts off and I forget how to drive. We're like pulling in the lot and I'm just like, ah, where do I park, right? <laughs> There's numbers, like which one do I have to pick? And, and then I sit there and like, I'm like looking, like the people are approaching. And it's like, which window are they coming to? And she's got her like code on her phone. She's trying to get to me. And then it's like, they're opening up my car for me and I don't even know what we bought. And it, anyway, it's just stressful. It's unnecessarily stressful for me. I would rather just walk in the store and get the thing and leave, but I'm losing that fight right now. Um, it's stressful when this thing actually rings, isn't it? 
right? Not a text message, not social media, but like a phone call on your phone. Isn't that terrifying? It's like, oh no, not now. And so like we just shove it away and let it go to voicemail. We'll answer later. That can be unnecessarily stressful. Um, Another area of my life that was unnecessarily stressful up until recently uh, was the idea of holding a baby. Holding a baby just terrified me. Uh, I was the baby in my family, and I was not around a lot of babies growing up. In fact, this is a picture, I believe, of the first baby I ever held, and that's baby Holden Bullhofer, Daryl and Lindsay's uh, firstborn son. So I don't know exactly how many years ago this was. I, I think Holden is like 12 or 13 now, so I'm not 12 or 13 in that picture, believe it or not, but that was the first time uh, I ever held a baby, and I remember just being terrified. Like, I wanted to be there for my friends, but they're like, here he is, this baby that we've waited for, and I'm just like, what do I do? Like, all I know is you protect the neck, right? So it's just like, whatever I need to do to to make sure that neck is safe. I've gotten better since I've had my own child. Like, you kind of have to learn by fire, Uh, but I can actually remember when my daughter Eden was born, a good friend of mine, Nico Gruber, who's the next-gen director at Bridgeway Church in Kokomo, he came over to our house uh, to meet Eden, like, I don't know, day two or day three that we were home. He was also terrified to hold babies, and uh, so he was sitting there. I remember he sat on the couch, and he, like, forced us to surround him with pillows, so, like, if she rolls off, I guess, she has a soft landing or something. And, and even initially, I was like, hey, do you want to hold her? And he just goes, no, no, I do not. <laughs> okay, and I think his wife, like, starts elbowing him. And eventually he did, and he made it through. But my point is we all have those, like, funny anxiety-producing things in our life, don't we? But do you know what, like, the number one anxiety-producing thing in our lives is? The number one thing that, honestly, is no laughing matter, but can cause us to be more stressed out and more anxious than anything else? It's our money, It's our money. In fact, maybe just me saying the words personal finance, especially in a church building or a movie theater, that's a church, maybe it like makes you sweat a little bit, right? If I'm like, we're talking about personal finance today, you're just like, do we have to? (laughs) Like, can't we do something else? Uh, Fear and anxiety is one of the most common natural responses we have to the topic of managing our money. And I think if we stop and think about it, it maybe shouldn't be that surprising uh, because it's hard to know like where to actually learn about managing your money. For many of us, we learned from our families, and I, I was blessed to have a mom and a dad who did a good job managing their money, so I saw their example, and I learned from it. Uh, but maybe for you, that's not what your parents were like, right? Maybe your greatest memory of money in your household growing up was that anytime money was brought up, the volume and the conversation seemed to go up too. The tension seemed to surface, and so you didn't know what they were talking about, but you just assumed that money equals stress because that's what seemed to happen in your household. Maybe you can remember like high school econ class, maybe, right? But that was like all about the collective mess that we all make rather than just like personal finance and budgeting. And, and so like maybe you, you're like, I've never learned how to balance a checkbook or make a budget or, or figure out how to do math or like <laughs> stuff. And it's like, sometimes we don't feel prepared. And so money becomes a source of stress and tension. And to catch you up on where we've been and where we're going, we believe it doesn't have to be that way. We believe that our relationship with our money and that God's desire for our relationship with our money is that it wouldn't be marked by stress and anxiety, but rather that it could be marked by freedom, that we could have a sense of freedom as it relates to our finances because God wants us to be free from the anxiety and the stress that we often feel. And so what we're doing through this series is we're looking at three truths from the Bible uh, over these weeks that if we embraced them, they would actually lead us into experiencing the freedom that God wants for us. And last week, we talked about the cultural message that many of us are tempted to buy into, that more is better. 
that we think like if I have one dollar, two dollars is better. If I have one car, two cars is better. That if I have one home, I probably should get a vacation home somewhere as well. That more is always better. And we can fall into this trap. And when we do, we said last week that we end up stressed and anxious and exhausted just chasing after stuff or trying to manage the stuff that we've already got. And we confronted that message that we often receive with the truth that less is often more that less is often more. And in fact, at the end of our time together, we gave you a challenge to focus on one of three habits that can help us embrace this mindset that less is more. And the first was to call out conforming, that there's areas in our lives where we're just kind of going with the flow. We're conforming to the way that everybody else manages their stuff or the things that everybody else seems to be buying. And we said, we need to call that out. We need to raise our attention to where we're just kind of drifting instead of being intentional. We said, we may need to cut back on our consumption that, that might mean shopping less or, or shopping at different places or, or just figuring out different rhythms and routines that often when we cut our consumption, re- we realize that we can actually have peace with less. Uh, and then the last thing we said was that many of us need to clear out the clutter. That sometimes greed shows up in our lives, not by like sitting on big piles of money, but just by accumulating stuff and having more than we need. And so we said, if there's something that you have that's more than you need, maybe you need to give it away. And uh, I'm happy, I guess, to report that my stack of books I was talking about is still intact at the base of my stairs. I thought all week that my wife was going to bring it up, but I snuck by another week, so we'll see what happens this week. Um, And honestly, I I mentioned this some last week, but again, me being not just like Pastor Eric, the guy who rolls out of a vault every Sunday, but like human Eric, who also has to navigate this stuff, it's really no fun to be teaching a money series, especially like midweek when you're just wanting to be a person. Uh, In fact, whoever organizes the internet, I feel like, they're out to get me because on Wednesdays, my rhythm and my routine is I basically work a half day and then I go pick up my daughter and take her to her ballet class. And and so in the afternoon I'm sitting there. And what that means for me is about 45 minutes of downtime where I'm typically like the only dance dad sitting there. There's a lot of dance moms, but uh, so what that means is like a lot of phone time normally that's sit there and I scroll and whoever they've got me, whoever they are, I've realized that every Wednesday afternoon around that time, I tend to get this email from this used guitar and used music equipment uh, retailer that I've signed up for. And it's like, here's the greatest deals of this week. And I find myself just sitting there. And so Wednesday this week, I was sitting there and I saw one. I was like, ooh, that's it. that looks like a good deal. And so I clicked on it. And then I'm like, you're teaching on money, Eric, right? Cut the consumption. But I'm like, it's a really good deal. So I hit the like, look at it later button. I sent some of them to my dad, like, look at this one. This one's $16,000. I'm never going to pay for that, but that's like, we were just ogling this stuff. But but I made this list and I was like, I'll look at that later. And then I realized it was like three or four guitars down the road. I'm like, I'll look at that later. I'll look at that later. And then here's the real danger. I forgot that on this platform, the sellers can make offers to you. So not only, I was like, yeah, I'll look at it later. I'll be responsible. Right. And then I get this deal and it's like 20% off. I'm like, whoa. So then I come home from dance and I'm like, hey, Ashley, look, this is a good deal. And I can knock like 10 bucks off if I drive to Chicago and go get it. And da, 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 da. I didn't buy the guitar. Okay. I was going to say I'm happy to report, but I'm not happy yet. I'm a little bitter, but trying to do what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so the point is last week we said less is often more. And this week uh, we want to talk about uh, another principle that it's almost painfully obvious. In fact, it's almost offensively obvious for me to say that like, we need to learn this together. But what we want to look at together today is the idea that stress is bad, especially as it relates to our money. Right? Stress is bad. It's bad for us. It's bad for our relationships. It's bad for our health. It's even bad for our spiritual health as well. 
but the bad news today is that in order to take this kind of obvious idea below the surface, we're going to have to talk about a dirty four-letter word, and it's D-E-B-T, debt. And, and the thing about debt it is actually, according to the American Psychological Association, debt within one's personal finances is the leading cause of stress in the United States. That debt is the number one stressor in our lives as it relates to our personal finances. And there's multiple polls that I've looked at that suggest that debt in our personal finances leads to stress in our families, creates relational tension between us. Typically, the number one reason that uh, couples get divorced is fights over money, and debt certainly plays a role in that as well. And here's the other thing. It's hard to talk about because for some reason, it seems like debt and shame go hand in hand. It's this crazy thing because most of us experience debt in some capacity, like just statistically, somebody here in the room probably is carrying some, and yet we don't want to talk about it. We, we, we have a sense of shame around the debt that we carry. There's a survey I saw that said more than a third of the people in the U.S. who were surveyed said they would be embarrassed to let others know that they weren't paying off their credit card bill in full each month. More than 40% said they believe that they'll be judged by their family and their friends because of their debt. And then here's the tricky thing about shame. So, so we, most of us have debt, most of us feel shame around debt, but the shame doesn't stop us from getting more debt. <laughs> like, like we feel shame, but the shame doesn't seem to be a b deterrent as it relates to accumulating debt. Uh, the average American, as of 2023, the most recent numbers I could find, holds $167,947 in debt. That's the average. Okay, so some are more, some are less. That does include mortgage debt, okay? But if you remove mortgage debt, depending on the source you look at, it's still somewhere between 20,000 at the minimum to 100,000 on average. Uh, family scary in debt. And in fact, I was looking at um, this chart from NerdWallet, which is a personal finance website. You can look up info. Uh, this is some data from 22, uh, or I'm sorry, from 2023. So there's that any type of debt number, the 167,000. When it comes to credit cards, the average American has about $20,000 in credit card debt. Uh, the average mortgage debt is 222000 which some of you guys have nicer houses than me, if that's the case. Uh, the average auto loan is $35,000, and the average student loan is $55,000. That was all data from last year. I think it was in September that they compiled it. But here's the other thing I wanted you to catch on this chart. Not only is that a lot of debt that, on average, we're carrying, but do you see the right column over here? So that's the percentage change in the total between 22 and 23 over the course uh, of that year. And do you see what's happening in every single column? It's a plus, right? Every single column, it's growing. So not only do we have on average a lot of debt shared among us, but it's getting bigger every year. I it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. A and that's a harsh reality, right? It's a harsh reality that impacts many of our lives. But before we jump into the solution side of it, before we jump into like God's wisdom as it relates to debt, I want to clarify just a couple of things for us. Uh, one thing I want to acknowledge is we're talking about debt is that not all of us find ourselves in debt because of bad behavior. And, and I think we need to make space for that today. Like not all of us are in debt because we're irresponsible. Medical debt is a huge cause of debt in our lives. And it's just insane what healthcare costs can do in a family with an unexpected diagnosis and expensive treatment. So, so medical debt can lead, or medical crises can lead to debt. Uh, maybe you've had a season where you were unemployed 
and you're trying to get a job, you're applying, right? But, but to make ends meet, as you didn't have income coming in, you ended up going into debt just to try and get by. Uh, that's not necessarily your fault or totally in your control. Unexpected circumstances can show up and, and can cause us to end up in financial places we never intended to be in. And if that's you today, I just want to acknowledge that, and I want you to know that you don't struggle alone, right? Statistically, it's kind of all of us, it looks like. But you don't struggle alone, and, and I believe that God sees you and wants to meet you right where you are. And, and I hope today the posture and the tone and how we talk about managing debt and managing our resources, I hope it doesn't come across in any type of pressure-filled way or any type of shaming way, but rather that you could have hope because I do believe freedom is possible for you, that God actually has a path for us to step and to move towards freedom as it relates to our finances. Uh, here's another thing I just want to clarify as we're talking about debt. I, I believe that God doesn't want us to be mastered by debt, uh, that God doesn't want us to be burdened by uh, overwhelming debt that we can't manage. At the same time, I also believe God doesn't want us to be mastered by shame. And I mentioned these two things just seem to go hand in hand. Debt may have become a bad thing in your life, but shame can be equally destructive, right? Debt can be a bad thing, but shame so often can be the thing that keeps us from doing anything about it. It can be the thing that makes us want to hide, that makes us feel like it's vulnerable for us to share uh, about our scenario and where we're at and the help that maybe we need. And here's what I want you to know today. Maybe contrary to what you've heard about God, maybe even contrary to what you grew up believing or what somebody made you think, God is not in the business of shaming anyone. God is not in the business of shaming anyone about anything. There are Christians who are in that business, unfortunately, and churches who have fallen into that, but God is not in the business of shaming anyone. God instead wants to build our faith and he wants us to experience freedom. He wants to meet us where we are and help us move in his direction. And so while shame is real and shame is often associated with our debt, shame is not God's desire for you in this. And that's not our desire for you either. So I hope you don't hear any message today that feels anything like shame for where you're at. And again, our hope is that you can discover freedom to move forward in a different way. The last thing I want to clarify before we jump in to what uh, God has to say here. Uh, is, this is just kind of my opinion, okay? So you can disagree and still attend Story Church and be a part of everything uh, God's doing here. But I want to be honest and authentic with you. A and the thing I want to clarify is this. I don't believe that all debt is bad. A and sometimes in churches and especially in like more conservative, uh, fiscally conservative circles, we can take like our critique of over... Uh, using debt or mismanaging debt. We can take it so far that we go on like a crusade against debt and we act like all debt is evil. And if you're indebted, like you need to get it together. And it's almost get, becomes this like moralistic thing. We get overzealous in our condemnation of debt. Uh, here's the thing. I can't really do that today because just being transparent with you, I have a mortgage, okay? <laughs> and an auto loan. Thankfully just one, one car's paid off. The other one will be eventually, and then hopefully no more. Uh, but if my car breaks down, guess what I'll probably have to lean on? Probably a car loan, okay? I don't want that to happen, but like, I, I have some debt. Here's the thing that really gets me. Often churches will condemn those who are in debt or treat debt as if it is the worst thing possible, and at the same time, leverage debt for the acquisition of property or land, right? It's, there's this hypocrisy that's happening. So just to be transparent, like Story Church, we have a loan. It helped us pay for the roof that's on our building. It's, it's a manageable loan. Uh, we will have a construction loan, again, that's manageable and allows us to get into our new home on a faster timeline than we could if we were just trying to squirrel away and save up like cash to be able to do it. So here's my point in bringing all this up. 
I don't believe the problem is debt. I believe the problem is unmanaged debt or maybe mismanaged debt. The problem is when debt becomes too big a part of our financial equation. And, and in fact, just to drive the point home a tiny bit further in case you're not yet feeling the pain, we know that debt causes stress, right? And we know that stress is bad, that stress can fracture our relationships with our family, that it can damage our health, it can damage our spiritual health and, and even our faith. But it is so easy to fall into unmanaged or mismanaged debt. Like for example, maybe you're like, hey, it's time for me to get out of the crappy car club. I, I talked about how I lived in the ca crappy car club for a long time. Maybe you're like, it's, it's my time, right? So you go to the lot and you're gonna bring all your best negotiation skills and whatever you wanna drive, you can imagine in your mind. But say you go there and you're like, you know what? I've negotiated the price down. It's gonna be $48,000 to get that car. It's a pretty nice car. We're gonna get a $48,000 car and, and maybe you've got a little bit of a past, okay? Don't have the best credit score. So the guy tells you the best he can do for you is a 12% interest rate and you've done your homework, like you've got your budget together, you know you can afford about 900 bucks a month uh, in a car payment. So you did that whole thing. And, and what that means for you is instead of like the typical 48 to 60 month uh, term on the loan, you stretch it out to 72 months and that way you're making your budget, you're within it. So it sounds good, right? Cause you did your thing, you negotiated, you got that price. You can't do anything about your bad credit, but we're, we're working towards it, right? And, and we're inside of our budget, all sounds good. Say it lands at like $938. So $938 times 72 months, that means you're gonna pay $68,000 on that car. $20,000 more than the purchase price, right? Over the course of that loan, that's kind of a lot, but that doesn't factor in depreciation. Every car purchaser's worst nightmare, right? Because the thing that happens is the second you drive it off the lot, the value tanks. And so say like you took good care of it, it's in good shape. By the time you reach the end of your 72 month term, your car may be worth like $18,000. That's, that's pretty good. It's also 30,000 less than what you paid for it, right? So by the time you actually own the vehicle, you've paid 20,000 more and it's worth 30,000 less. So in other words, you've dropped $50,000 in a car that initially you said was worth 48,000. Nobody would take that deal on the front side. Right, it's, that's a bad deal. But maybe cars aren't your thing, okay? Maybe you're like, I would never pay $48,000 in a car. Let's make it easier. Credit card debt, okay? I imagine that you have a $2,000 credit card balance. Uh, you've just racked it up over the month. It's very easy to do, I promise. A and say your credit card has an 18% annual rate, which is better than most are right now, okay? And like averaging around 20% right now. So you've got an 18% rate. And the minimum payment that you have to make is either 2% of your balance or $10, whichever is the bigger number. And, and so you decide, okay, I've got my $2,000 on my credit card and I'm just gonna make minimums. Okay, I'm just gonna get by, I'm gonna pay that minimum payment. If you only pay your minimum payment on your $2,000 with your 18% rate, it's gonna take you 370 months to pay off that balance or a little over 30 years to pay off $2,000 you could have and raise a child in the time that it'll take to pay off that $2,000 in debt with the minimum payment. A and you'll be like four years in and you're like, I'm paying for mashed potatoes that I ate four years ago. <laughs> like like it, it's, it feels absurd and, and we would never choose it. But like math aside, okay, this problem really does impact us. As a pastor, I get to hear a lot of people's stories. I have never heard somebody say, you know when my marriage really turned around? It's when we got into debt. <laughs> like, like nobody has ever said, I sleep so much better at night thanks to my interest rate. 
or, or I just drop on my knees and I thank God for that monthly payment that I have to make. <laughs> like, like nobody says that. But do you know what people do say? I, I've heard a lot of people say, I wish I could be more generous. I've heard a lot of people say, like, I wish one of us could stay home with the kids, but we just, we need both incomes to keep up with what we've gotten ourselves into. I've heard people say, I wish I could retire early and pursue my passion or pursue a God-given opportunity or, or even just volunteer more and make a difference in the community. So again, I don't believe debt is inherently evil, but I do know that debt can wreak havoc in many of our lives and is wreaking havoc in many of our lives. And so to highlight Uh, what we can do about it and what debt can do in our lives. I want us to turn to the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs are basically the tweetable parts of the Bible. They're these like pithy little one-liners that uh, talk about wisdom. It's God's word that was given to us to protect us from the pitfalls of bad choices we may want to make. But they're kind of tricky because they read almost in like an if-then sort of way. Like they seem very black and white that if you do this, things will go well. If you don't do this, things won't go well. And while that's generally true, we've also all probably lived enough to know like that's not always true. Sometimes you can do the right thing and it doesn't pay out. And sometimes people do the wrong thing and they get away with it. And so uh, rather than Proverbs just being like this black and white if-then kind of puzzle that we can learn and solve, uh, they're more like a collection of best practices. I read a commentary this week that said this, the truisms of Proverbs are not absolute promises but general principles based on careful observation of human experience. So in other words, they're just kind of like general trends that we can lean into, even if they don't always work exactly like they ought to. So with that in mind, here's what the writer of Proverbs famously has to say as it relates to debt. They say, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. It's a verse that is famously quoted, often used as a warning, sometimes used as a weapon to shame those who are in debt. Uh, But the thing we look over is there's actually two warnings in this proverb. And it's a little tricky because just like on a surface read, that first sentence almost reads like it's saying rich people are better than poor people. (laughs) The rich rule over the poor, like it it reads kind of tricky. And so what you always have to do when you're reading scripture is pause and try and understand, is this verse descriptive of something or is it prescriptive of something? So just like a prescription you would get from a doctor where they say, take this and and you'll feel better. Sometimes scripture says, hey, do this. And other times scripture describes, hey, this can happen in life. Sometimes this happens. And so that's what it is in this case. God is not saying the rich should rule over the poor. And in fact, we know that because just a few verses earlier, the writer of Proverbs says this, that the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. That, that they have equal footing before God, that God doesn't show preference to the rich or, or believe that the rich should be in power over the poor. If anything, and this is a different topic for a different day, but if anything, God tips his hat towards the poor and towards the oppressed way more than he does to those in power. But rather, what, what's this verse is saying, the rich rule over the poor, is this warning that those with resources are often tempted to exploit those with less. And I know all of us in the room, we're talking about debt, right? We're like, I don't have a lot of resources. Globally, we do, okay? All of us in the room, globally speaking, are the rich, whether you feel like it or not. But even on a local standpoint, like it's just a warning that if you have a lot, you need to be careful about how you manage it. And then the back half, the second warning is really the one that applies to this topic of debt. It's this famous verse that says, the borrower is the slave to the lender. And the point is that when we incur debt, it's like this form of bondage we enter into between the people or the institutions that we owe. 
And, and so as a result, we lack freedom in that relationship. Like, for example, I have a mortgage on my house, as I mentioned, and, and so I make that payment every month. If I don't make that payment, it's not like they're just like, it's cool, man, maybe next month. No, like after day 15, right, I get a letter, I've gotten it before, that says, hey, you forgot to pay it, right? And I'm like, oh, no, and, I, and then I have to pay late fees for it. Uh, the thing that I've noticed as the economy is doing what the economy is doing, and this may or may not be true for you, but for me, my mortgage over the past couple of years has been just creeping up, right? Because like home insurance is more expensive than it used to be, and everything is more expensive than it used to be. And, and that rate's going up, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? We agreed to something three years ago. Why are the terms changing? You know why? Because it's their terms. <laughs> because I'm the slave to the lender. They're letting me live there. And until I pay that thing off, it's their house that I get to live in. A and if I don't play by the terms, eventually they take it. A and so the point is that that's the kind of relationship we enter into anytime we enter into debt. And any relationship that costs you your freedom is one that you should not enter into lightly. So if you're here today and, and you feel trapped by debt, first I want you to know you're not alone. I, and if you feel trapped and you feel ashamed, I want you to know that that's not what God wants for you. I, and I want you to know that freedom is possible, but it's found in trusting God's lead in this arena of our lives. And so practically, as, as we kind of wrap things up here, I want to give you two prayers that you can pray, uh, which have two practical applications on the other side of them to help you take steps towards freedom as it relates to managing or maybe getting rid of your debt. And, and these next steps that if we actually take them, I believe uh, they might help free us from the bondage of debt and uh, allow us to experience the freedom that God wants for you. So I mentioned that I don't believe debt in and of itself is inherently evil. A and maybe a, a helpful view that we can have on debt is to say that debt can be a tool that serves us or it can be a trap that holds us back. They're not mutually exclusive, right? Sometimes debt is a tool that serves us, but if we're not careful, it can become a trap that sets us back. And I was thinking about that dynamic and remembered this one year uh, that my brother took my grandpa's sailboat out up at the lake. So we have this lake cottage we go to in the summers. Uh, that's him out with my nephew just a couple of years back. This was long before there was a nephew. Okay, like I think I was maybe still in college and he was just out of college. We took the sailboat out. It was like a nice windy day. So he was zipping right along doing his thing, enjoying the lake. So we saw him out there. I think I went upstairs and maybe was like helping my mom get lunch ready or something. But time went by and then suddenly we realized, where's Greg? Like, where's my brother? He's not back yet. And he didn't have his phone on him or anything like that. And so like we, we looked out the window across the lake and suddenly we saw not that beautiful sail flying out there. We saw the bottom side of the sailboat <laughs> and, and thankfully saw my brother's head like bobbing next to it. And we looked out there like, oh no, right? That's, that's not how that's supposed to be. And so uh, we rushed out there. I think it was like me and my dad and my uncle. I remember for some reason we took the paddle boat rather than like the motorized fishing boat or speed boat. So we're like, <laughs> like paddling out there to go rescue him. And, and we get out there and we could see like my brother was on the side of that sailboat trying to pull that thing over. But do you know what happened? That mast, right? With that big sail on it. When that boat flipped upside down, the mast got stuck in like the muck and seaweed and goo that was under there. And that big sail that's supposed to catch the wind and move the boat was catching all the water. So as you try to tip that thing up, there's like so much resistance on it. My brother couldn't get the ship upright. Story ends happy. Okay, we get on the side of it with all four guys. We eventually were able to bring the thing up. All the water rushes out. And as you can tell, it did not end his sailboating career. So uh, I was thinking about it. And I realized, like, that's what happens as it relates to debt for us a lot of the time. That sailboat has that sail on it, right? 
That is the thing that makes the ship go. It's a tool that can be used to move things forward. But when things get upside down, that tool suddenly became the very thing that was keeping that boat trapped, that was keeping them from being able to move forward. Uh, the thing that should have propelled it forward was actually anchoring it down. A and I think that's what happens for many of us as it relates to our debt. I don't think most of us are like, you know what, today's the day I'm buying a Tesla and we get in upside down with debt because we just spend like crazy one day. I think for most of us, what happens is at some point we move out of our parents' house and then we have real expenses, right? It's like, uh oh, we have to manage life, whether we're prepared for it or not. And, and then as life goes on, typically our expenses grow. And as our expenses grow, our stress grows with it. Uh, sometimes even as our income grows, our expenses grow because normally wherever we set our standard of living, we just keep growing <laughs> as it grows. And, and so the stress keeps growing alongside of it. And at some point, many of us turn to debt to try and manage it, to try and sort it out, maybe to get somewhere we wanna be quicker uh, than we could otherwise. But what ends up happening is we get trapped and we feel like we're sinking. And so just like learning how to handle that sailboat required planning and learning, so does managing debt and so does managing our resources. And that's why prayer number one that I wanna challenge you to pray is this, it's God, please help me make a plan. Please help me make a plan. Wherever you're at with your relationship to your money, this is a powerful prayer for all of us to pray because it's an invitation for God to lead you in this aspect of your life. Sometimes I think that's why it feels so pressure-filled is like we feel ashamed and so we just wanna keep it to ourselves and we feel the pressure that we've gotta fix it all on our own. But just like any other area of your life, God wants to have input and access to this part of your life as well. So you can invite God to lead you and guide you. And maybe you're like, yeah, but a plan? Okay, I didn't go to school for that. I'm not a financial analyst. Like seriously, why do I need a plan? Why can't I just stop getting more debt, pay the minimums, it'll go away eventually, right? I'll just chunk away at it. If you do that and you do nothing else, that's a start, okay? But the power of a plan is the plan is a path to freedom because it can give you handles on how to eliminate your debt faster. It can give you handles on how to actually feel freedom faster. And in fact, if I could like have a bottom line for this whole series, I think it would be this, that if you don't master your money, your money will master you. Th that if you don't master your money, your money will master you. That if you don't tell your dollars where to go, they'll still go somewhere and you'll go right along with them, right? <laughs> your well-being, your sense of peace, your anxiety, it's just all gonna go up as you spend and spend and spend. And so this plan, like back to Proverbs, the writer says it this way, that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Again, a little disclaimer here. I, I don't think that the author is saying that if you find yourself facing some sort of poverty, it's because you were hasty or because you weren't diligent. And I also don't think that the author is necessarily saying that if you're diligent, you're always gonna be rich. We know people who have worked hard and it didn't pay off. And again, we know people who are maybe hasty and got away with it. But there's this general principle still that, that hastiness or hurry in the realm of our personal finances rarely pays off in the long run. Uh, for example, this is why many of us fall into retail therapy. If you don't know what retail therapy is, that's when you feel sad or lonely or bored and instead of dealing with that feeling you just shop or you eat <laughs> like you go spend you consume something that's hastiness showing up because hastiness is anytime you allow your heart to make a decision without consulting your head or your budget right? it's when you just let your heart be your guide and like then you just spend and spend and spend and then you get upside down i, I saw this study as it relates to having a financial plan 
It showed that half of all Americans have no financial plan in place at all. Like 50%, no budget, no financial plan at all. Only 16% of Americans identified that they would say they are highly disciplined financial planners, meaning that they have a goal in place and they know the steps to take to get it there and they're committed to taking them. Only 16%. Here's something we have to understand if we want to get a handle on this. It's that you can wander into debt, but you can never wander out of debt. You can stumble into debt on accident, but you will never stumble out of debt. You can mistake your way into debt. You'll never mistake your way out of it because freedom is found on the other side of intentionality. Freedom is found when we do the hard work of looking at reality and creating a plan to get where we wanna be and actually stick to that plan. So if this resonates with you, maybe you're wondering, okay, like I'll pray the prayer, but where do I even start to have a financial plan? The easiest and simplest way to start is to simply make a budget or if budget's a bad word for you, call it a spending plan, okay? Because spending's more fun than budgeting. Uh, but, but create a plan. And I think all of us could probably use a refresher in this area. Maybe you've never had one. Like you just know money comes in and you know money goes out and you check your checking account sometimes and you go, ah, and then you rein it in for a little bit and then it keeps going. Like you can create a plan. You can decide where your money goes before it goes there. Uh, maybe you have a budget, but you don't actually stick to it, which means you don't really have a budget, right? <laughs> like, like you did the work and you put it on paper because that's what you're supposed to do and then you just do. A and so that plan really wasn't worth very much. If you're here and you are in the 16% of highly disciplined financial planners, here's the thing. Maybe you could serve your church by helping other people in this area, right? You could bring that passion and that skill that you have and you could offer it to help other people. That could be an amazing thing. Maybe you do have a budget. Maybe you stick to it. But maybe it's time to look at it again through the lens of your faith. And it's not just through your priorities, but through what maybe God is leading you to do. To, to double down and think like, what does God want to accomplish in and through me and my family in the arena of my finances over the course of this next year? It's powerful when we're willing to sit down and bring that level of intentionality to our finances. And here's the thing, if you want help in this area, uh, you can just Google make a budget and you'll find like all kinds of resources. There's free resources out there. If there's room in your budget, you can pay for uh, other budgeting tools and resources. But we're also working on a list of financial freedom resources that we're gonna available, make available to you uh, here at Story Church. And so as we're developing that list, if you wanna stay in the loop for when those resources are ready, if you visit storyperu.com freedom, there's a simple form there. Uh, we just ask your name, your phone number, and your email so we can contact you once that's all available. And, and we'll keep it totally anonymous. Otherwise, you can sign up today and we'll let you know when those resources are available. We're looking at uh, potentially hosting like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which is uh, a multiple week course that can teach you some basic money management principles like making a budget and an effective strategy to get out of debt. Um, we're also looking at another course that's basically like money basics or money 101 that we have to get certified in, but it's like a three-day course, I believe. But as we're looking at these different resources, uh, we'll let you know when they become available. And we want to come alongside you and we want to help in this arena. But the point is those practical next steps, those practical resources are often the result of having the courage to pray the prayer, God, help me make a plan. And then actually sitting down and going through it, going through it and, and working it out. The second prayer that I want to challenge you to pray is God, please give me self-control. Because as I said, it's one thing to make the plan. It's another thing to stick to it. 
right? It's one thing to make the plan, but if you don't actually stick to it, you're kind of missing the point. The writer of Proverbs says it in this way. They say, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That doesn't hit us as hard as it did in the ancient world, because in the ancient world, if you lived in a city that didn't have walls, you barely lived in a city, because without walls, you were vulnerable. You were vulnerable to attack from enemies and unprotected in many ways. The same thing is true in our finances when we lack self-control. A lack of self-control in our finances makes us vulnerable to overspending or to over-relying on debt. But if we have self-control, it can help us stick to that plan that we just made. It can help us stick to the thing uh, that God has helped us develop that moves us towards the goals that we've set. Self-control is often the difference between living within our means or living outside of our means and falling into the bondage of debt. And listen, this isn't always easy. Uh, Some years you have plenty, but it's difficult to have self-control and not just raise your standard of living up to whatever amount you have, right? It's difficult to save. It's difficult to plan ahead. Other seasons, every family will go through these where things get a little more lean for one reason or another. And it's difficult to hunker down and have self-control to cut back where you need to cut back. It's hard to not buy guitars, right? (laughs) It's difficult to have self-control, but if you do it, it pays off. In fact, sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking, well, if I just had a little more, then I would manage it better. (laughs) If If I just had more, then I'd get a handle on this stuff. That's generally not true. In fact, the way that you handle money with less is correlated to the way that you'll handle money with more. And in fact, to to wrap up just for fun, I want to share with you a little bit of a cautionary tale that happened in the late 1980s that illustrates this principle. Uh, There was a man named William Bud Post, and in 1988, he won $6.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery. So the story goes that Bud uh, went and he bought 40 tickets in the state lottery, and at the time, he had less than $5 in his checking account. So Bud was not doing well. This is like his last ditch effort. I'm going for it. And of those 40 tickets, one of them was a winner. And Bud won $16.2 million. Obviously could have been a game changer, right? But Bud ended up $1 million in debt within a year. In fact, a lot of crazy things allegedly happened in Bud's story. Uh, In the two weeks after he won, he spent more than $300,000 of his annual $297,000 payout. So he's just like, I got it, I'm going for it. (laughs) He went crazy. Uh, Within three months, he was $500,000 in debt. He had a former girlfriend slash landlord, I believe, which seems complicated, but uh, apparently they had agreed when he bought the tickets that they were gonna split the earnings. And so she successfully sued him and took a third of his earnings. His brother, this isn't really funny, but his brother was arrested for allegedly hiring a hitman to kill him in the hopes that he would inherit the winnings. Uh, And then after Bud went through and he sunk money into failed family businesses, he ended up sinking into debt, ended up spending time in jail because he fired a shotgun at a debt collector who showed up to his McMansion to try and get what he owed. And eventually, Bud had to auction off his remaining annual payouts in order to pay off his debts. And in 1993, so just five years after he won $16.2 million, Bud said this in an interview. He said, everybody dreams of winning money but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems. I was much happier when I was broke. Obviously, that's an extreme case, okay? If you win the lottery, I believe you'll manage it a little better, and please don't shoot anyone, okay? But the point is learning these habits now can actually set you up to win later. That 
that these habits apply regardless of your financial situation. And I don't believe God wants you to be broke, but I do believe God wants you to be free. I, I believe God wants you to be free. And, and that happens when we're willing to be honest about where we're at, wh when we realize that God doesn't want us to feel shame and God doesn't want us to feel captive. God wants us to be free. You're not lesser if you're in debt, but there is a pathway available out of it. And it happens when you make a plan and you learn how to stick to it. it. It happens when you're willing to actually go there and pray, God, help me make a plan and help me have self-control. So let me pray for you. That could be true in your life. God, this is uh, one of those topics, again, that it can be difficult for us to be honest about. But I just pray, um, I pray against any spirit of shame that's showing up in us, uh, that we could be people who acknowledge where we're really at, that we could be honest to you and honest to one another. And if we need help, that we could admit it. God, I pray uh, that we would actually have the courage to make these prayers to you, that we would ask for your help in making a plan and have the courage to step out and get the resources that we need to do so. I, I pray for the person in the room who's skilled in this area, that they might be willing to offer their skills to benefit other people, to help set them free from bondage and debt. And God, I pray that all of us would have self-control, that we could choose to make a plan, that we would stick to it, not just to be better money managers, but ultimately uh, to be better stewards of your kingdom, to be people who line our hearts up with your heart and who make a bigger impact because you want us to be free to pursue the things you've called us to. So God, help us know what to do with what we've heard and give us the courage to actually take those next steps. We pray all of that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.